You're listening to part two of Priority One's interview with Star Trek Online lead designer Al, Captain Gecko Rivera. For part one of this interview, visit www.priorityonepodcast.com. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Well, joining us this fine evening is lead designer Al, Captain Gecko Rivera from Cryptic Studios. Thank you for joining us this evening, Al. Let's hop right in. We're going to start with some user questions we posted on the Star Trek Online forums that we were interviewing you, and some people were nice enough to submit questions. Tony, why don't you go ahead and lead us off? Well, all right. First off, I want you to imagine yourself in a little room here. I'm going to turn on a single overhead light bulb. We're putting you on the spot here. We know about the ship whiteboard. There are four lights! There are four lights! Four lights! No, this time there's just one right over your head and swinging back and forth. James and Adrian saw the ship whiteboard, and I caught it when I did the video edit for the video interviews we did. So we know it exists. It's there. Don't bother trying to deny it. What's on the whiteboard, Al? I'm going to ask you some questions, and you just give me a yes or a no. Or if you have to, you can give me a no comment. We understand. So you ready? You ready? Here they come. Jupiter class. No. Jupiter class, at least the one that was in our game right now, is it's just a hack. People have really liked it, but we needed a quick battleship or a dreadnought at the time, and we just took a sovereign and stretched it out and, and doubled up its nacelles. I'd love to actually update that. But, I mean, the name is really cool, obviously, but no plans for a Jupiter or Typhoon class. Oh, you just got the next one. That was the next one on the list. So no plans for Jupiter, no plans for a Typhoon. All right, all right. Jem'Hadar warship? Well, which one are you missing? I think this one is the actual, just the warship. I think you got the Dreadnought Carrier well, out there in the lockbox. Uh, but. There's the Jem'Hadar attack ship, which has been out for a while. There's the Jem'Hadar Dreadnought, which came out in the Lobi store just recently. We created a, the Escort Carrier. That's out. There's there's a Jem'Hadar battleship that's... They don't really look that different. You kind of sometimes like, which one is that one? You're going to line them all up to see a different one. And then, like, a Jem'Hadar fighter. We'll probably get a Jem'Hadar fighter out. Warship? I don't know. Do we need another Jem'Hadar ship? If it comes out, no immediate plans. I could certainly see it showing back up if we ever did, like, a lockbox replay or something, like, in a year or so. If there's a huge kind of desire for another Jem'Hadar heavy ship, I don't know. Do you guys want one, really? The stuff forums want one, but that's why we're asking. And and you, once again, anticipated the next one, Jem'Hadar fighter. Jem'Hadar fighter. I think that's a good possibility, and I think you'll probably see it in the low-buy store, just like the Tholian fighters and the okay. Temple fighter. Yeah, yeah, like the Ferengi shuttle and that kind of stuff, the small craft. Mm-hmm. All right, Ferrosan Carrier. That is a ship I definitely want to get in the game. We we wanted to get it in when we did the Cation Carrier, but there just wasn't enough time to do another model for that. So I think okay. that is a very good possibility, and, and it would be a very it'd be a very heavy tactical-based carrier to counteract the Cation or right. science-based carrier. All right. Territory control system? How'd that get in there? Uh, not quite a ship. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Uh, no, I was trying to trap you. I was trying to trap you, get you in the rhythm of answering yes or no and try to trap you off guard. But you're too quick. You're too good. We'll skip that one. We'll come back to that one. Admiral Janeway's SC-4 shuttle, the one that was in the uh, Voyager finale. Yeah, I think we've uh, also known as a Type 11 shuttle. Definitely. We'll make it into the game. I think we're kind of holding off on it when, because I want to do a Delta Quadrant kind of thing, either, whether it's whether a Delta Quadrant, you know, season or expansion or a just a Delta Quadrant focused group of stuff. That's when I think you'll see it. I think you'll see that along with the Deans and Voth and the ever popular Kazon. Maybe the Kazon. Everyone, no, everyone's the, clamoring for the Kazon. Yes, yeah, but I think you'll <laughs> want to see the Galaxians and Compens kind of see all those come together and then maybe we'll even get to do a voyager interior kit with that so just kind of Ooh. that's where i'd love to see that all come together as like one big, like voyager delta quadrant package of stuff all right how about a uh, fleet chimera fleet chimera and a i can't remember my klingon ship names i apologize uh, the klingon equivalent maybe 
I think if we see it, it might be a little while. We talked about it a lot when we released the Chimera. It's like, hey, here's a Chimera for veterans and for lifetime members. And then we said, well, why don't we just make a fleet Chimera with it? And then we thought, well, you know, if we do that, we felt that there would be a lot of bad blood about, here's your lifetime reward. And, you know, for 20, 25 bucks, you can then get a better one. And everyone was just going to get ticked off, I think, if we did that. So we decided just to give it a little time and let's let people enjoy the accolade of being a veteran before putting that in the fleet. Yes, I still would definitely want to do one. So we're just trying to find the right time for it. I kind of want to follow up the Chimera question with what about variants for the Chimera? Costume variants? Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we got, there's a big question about that floating around. That's, that's one of our big questions that are popular on the forums. Several people ask that. Not just about the Chimera specifically, but, you know. I honestly doubt it. Uh, I think we have too many other ships to make. I don't think we'll see any variants on that particular ship. There's a lot of bigger ships that I'd rather get variants on than on that one there. I imagine the animation makes that tough, too. Definitely makes it a lot tougher because they're animated ships. Okay. How about a Fleet Odyssey? I'm going to say no on a Fleet Odyssey because, in my opinion, the current Odyssey is as good, if not better, than any fleet ship statistically wide. It already has the 10 console slots. The original Odyssey was the base Odyssey, and then when we came up with the Sea Store Odyssey, it basically was that bump. That's why the regular Odyssey then made it to the Fleet Store. It's already in the Fleet Store, the regular Odyssey, but then you want the better Odyssey at Sea Store. So if we were to make a Fleet Odyssey, I mean, if we can't give it 11 consoles, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> going to go oh. down that free scope. And then it's a little stickier because you can buy that one in a bundle. I'm going to add three of them to the Fleet Store, different seating arrangements. Mm-hmm. I think that maybe after we get through this list, I'll tell you a little bit something that might satisfy people who want a fleet odyssey but in a different way so you mentioned you brought up the fact that the odyssey is available in the sea store now the ambassador came out very similarly to how the odyssey was released which is during the anniversary event it was a free ship are we going to see a sea store ambassador whether or not it'll be a sea store or a fleet store ambassador you'll probably see one in a similar way that we did with the odyssey so i don't necessarily mean that you'll get a bundle with saucer separation or anything as advanced as that came with the odyssey but you know after the anniversary events you won't be able to get the tier five odyssey anymore right you'll only be able to get the tier three odyssey then the temporal ambassador mission will get plunked into like a level 25 mission will just go into the standard mission tracker and that's what we did with last year with the Odyssey. You could only get the Odyssey for a limited time during the event, and the Odyssey went away. And then several months later, we put the standard Odyssey available in the fleet store, and somewhere in between, we made a sea store version of the Odyssey. I think that you'll get something very similar to the Ambassador. I wouldn't count on anything as complicated or as robust as what we did with the Odyssey. I mean, we gave that a lot of attention because it was the flagship, right? But I think you can count on getting a an improved ambassador in the near future. Okay. And what about variants? Like that cannon skin? That's yeah. a yeah, I want it. We've talked about it and it's really up to whether or not the chip art team has time to do that. I would probably give it maybe 40-50% chance of that showing up. I'm pushing for it. If people don't know, there's the ambassador that was on screen in yesterday's enterprise. And then I believe there was a variant that was made. I can't remember. If, I think it was the original concept or was or was it even came afterwards? I can't remember. I think it was the original concept that is a little more edgy looking, kind of like the difference between the two different Excelsiors, the original Excelsior and then the Enterprise B Excelsior class right. has a little more edges on it. I really like it. It's never been on screen before. So do we want to get it in? Yes. Will it make it in? It's entirely up to schedule. you see if we can get it in. All right. Well, via Twitter from at Sean Babbitt, he would like to know about the Andorian Battle Cruiser. We know it's coming, right? One hundred percent, yes. Getting it being currently worked on. So good, good. And at a follow up on that from our Facebook page from Chris. How are we going to acquire that? Can you tell us? It'll be in the sea store. VC store ship. Okay. okay. Yeah. I mean, those plans may change, but as far as I know, we've actually gone back and forth. We thought for a while we might release the Andorian ship similarly the way we released the Brain ship. We know that's called an appointment mechanic, like where you had to log in oh, every right. for a while. So that still might happen, but I'm pretty sure at this point it's, it's just going to go into the C store. I don't think it'll go in a lockbox because I wouldn't let Klingons have it, and that means we'd have to make an equivalent Klingon one. I think it's either going to be a appointment mechanic or a C store, and it'll probably be C store. And it will be a heavy escort. 
heavy escort. And a while ago, you talked about the idea of a broadsider. Are you still playing with that? or I still want to do that. What I want to do is get out a ship that looks like a 2409 version of the Andorian ship you saw in Enterprise. I think that is way more recognizable. I think that's going to have way more appeal to Andorian fans to fly the IP ship before we invent our own. As far as a broadsider, because that ship wasn't a broadsider. That was an escort, right? That was a battlecruiser and escort. Um, it was fast looking. So a broadsiding battlecruiser is new technology that we still don't have yet, but it would look very different. It would be something we'd have to create our own. We, you know, obviously take elements from the Endurance ships, but it wouldn't look like a, I mean, that ship looked like a fighter in many ways, right? Had these oh, yeah. But that will come later. So I believe in Stall's interview over at Massively Speaking, he mentioned that, you know, you guys are kind of going through the Canon ships, the ships that have, have been seen on screen. If licensing weren't an issue, what ships from previous Star Trek games would you add? And this one came to us by Kekvin. I can't think of any particular ships from other games that I... There, there's one, and I, I honestly just don't remember what it was. Um, is there anything that, that, that you guys can think of offhand that uh, people would like to see in STO? I mean, the Vesta was the closest thing that we wanted to get into the game. The only thing I can think of is, and I can't remember any of the names of the ships, but there were some original ships, I believe, in maybe Star Trek Armada. I don't know if it was original ships or just crazy powers that they had, but I think that's were, kind of what people are looking for. There were a lot of crazy powers that we've looked at, but I can't remember any ships. And sorry if I'm losing any cred here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually Googling some, and I'm not sure exactly how many of these are from Armada. It's been, been too long. I can see some weird stuff I hadn't seen before, which are kind of cool. Sorry, I don't really have a better answer for you. There's not much from there that that I want to get. There's one weird ship I want to get in. I want to get the Dauntless, but I don't know if a lot of people like it as much as I do. That was from one episode of Voyager. It wasn't even, it wasn't a real Starfleet ship. It's pretending to be from Starfleet, and they had this kind of weird-looking ship. From Voyager, right? in Voyager. Yeah. Oh, just use it. I mean, come on, you know, we saw it, and we liked the specifications in Voyager, recorded it, and brought it back, and, you know. The Starfleet engineers made magic and did it and made it happen. Yeah, we are running out of ships. As far as I know, the only thing that I can think of that's left in the game, I think there are things that you probably got a very small group of people who might be interested in those ships or, you know, just a small group of people who would just love to see it just that we kind of completed the set, right? There's right. like the New Orleans, there's the right. Shelley slash Frankenstein ship. Uh, no. <laughs> the Curry Shelley. There's the Norway, which probably would, might be worth getting. We've got an Oslo, which is kind of similar on the if you get an Akira. The Springfield-class ship. Then there's the one that's a kit bash between a Peregrine fighter and Voyager. Most of these ships are really kit bashy stuff. Some of them had yellow highlighters for markers, yellow highlighter markers for nacelles. They were just <laughs> way in the background at the back of destroyed things at Wolf 359. There, a lot of them are pretty weird. And I honestly don't think if we invested time in them that there wouldn't be a lot of interest in them. So I think at this point, I mean, getting the ambassador was a big deal. We definitely oh, need, yeah. the, we need to complete that set of uh, enterprises. But there are a few IP ships that make sense that I think would actually be all that popular left to get into the game. Now, there are certainly other alien ships, but I'd like to get some more Vulcan ships. I want to get a founders of the Federation ship. So I want to get a Tellarite ship, a new Vulcan ship, and then the Andorian battlecruiser, that kind of thing. Certainly lots of stuff, lots of stuff to explore in the Klingon side. Nothing left IP-wise, but I want to get a regent equivalent of the Negvar on the Klingon side, you know, like a plus one C-store version of the Negvar. I'm doing a little Google search right now, see if I can see what else that I've missed. The Jaeger is the one I was forgetting. That's the one, the Jaeger class, if anyone was looking that up. is basically, I think it's Bajoran fighter back stuck onto the Voyager saucer was stuck on the front. And it's just horrible. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> it's just a Shelly class. It's basically a, a Miranda with an Excelsior hull stuck on the bottom and jutted forward. Um, real kit bash. It was originally called the Curry class. And then they called the Shelly after Mary Shelley Frankenstein. Because it's such a Frankenstein-looking ship. And there's the Niagara, the New Orleans, and the Springfield. Those three. Like, the Niagara is very ambassador-looking. And the New Orleans and Springfield are a little weird. I think the Springfield is the one that actually used yellow highlighter markers on its nacelles. Um, <laughs> I don't know if a lot of people would be all that interested. I think there's a handful of people. But I think we'll be better off. I'd like to get the real Constellation into the game. Oh, the Stargazer. 
yeah, yeah. I'd, lo- I'd love I'd love to I, uh, have it with the Picard maneuver, right? So oh, yeah. um, I think people might be more interested in just getting the Picard maneuver more than the ship itself. So yeah, I don't know if there's really much else that's like, wow, I must have that ship. And so I think we're going to start thinking more about what we can create ourselves. More new original ships based on current designs. A more modern Defiant, a more modern Prometheus, a more modern cruisers in general. There's certainly still some stuff from the Enterprise contest we had that our users submitted that are still great ships. I mean, that's where the, if people don't know or remember the, the veteran ship itself, the Chimera, was pretty much spot on what another user had submitted as a next Enterprise ship that we really liked but didn't feel like was an Enterprise. So, But we wanted to get in the right. game. There's a few more like that we want to get in. The Raven. Well, I want to get the Raven in the game, but it's more of a runabout. The Raven was... Let's, oh, from the, that's your Delta. That's more, more for your Delta pack. It's another piece uh, of your Delta pack. I didn't go the Delta pack, but uh, perhaps that was, if people don't remember, the Raven was Seven of Nine's, uh, Annika Hansen's parents' ship that they were looking for the Borg. It's kind of pretty big for a runabout, like 100 meters or something. I'd like to get that in the game. But yeah, we're know. running out. We'll have some other things that they have in mind. They can let us know, but... I'm pretty sure that we've been really good at keeping an eye on the IP and what we think people will be most interested in. So. Right. Well, hey, speaking of kit bashing, we had another user submit a question. This is actually several of them. Matt Miracle and Asneadit both kind of uh, asked similar questions. How about the plans for the increased ship customization? We already talked a little bit about it. Are you sticking with maybe parts for specific ships and skins for everybody? Any chance of mixing and mashing, kit bashing like we were talking about? Can we have some yellow highlighter shaped nacelles? I'm guessing from the question, we're talking specifically cosmetic. Is that what the correct? Uh, co- yeah, I think the idea is Stahl mentioned that uh, maybe in a couple interviews that perhaps tying this in with the fleet advancement system. Uh, I think talking about something different, and I'm going to go out on a limb and uh, see okay. if Stahl what he was referring to. I think he was talking less about art, which I want to clarify when someone says skins, I'm assuming they mean model and geo as opposed to textures and materials. Textures and materials can always come quite cheaply and we can release them pretty easily. Making new models is a little more challenging. So making more of those doesn't happen as often as we would like, but it happens as much as we can. But what we try to do is be a little smarter when the opportunity is available from we make a ship that to allow things to be shared as much as possible between two or three different things, such as like when we did the Vesta, I think was the best example. We made it a bundle and said, let's make some variants because it's easier to make variants when you're kind of building the model at that time and then let the parts be swapped in between so they're pretty distinctive. So using they sell from one ship to another is not, it's just actually, it doesn't work. You just have to rebuild the part, or at least on the back end, stuff has to be rebuilt. It doesn't just snap on. The stuff is built into a different skeleton. I don't really know the details, the technical details about it. That's really for a ship artist to tell you. But as far as I'm concerned, there are a lot of Klingon ships that need some more customization before any Federation ship does. There's some Klingon ships out there that just have one variant and really deserves to have some more. Kapla, I'm sure our Klingon audience will enjoy hearing that. But going back in channeling stall, what I think he was referring to is something that kind of might answer the fleet odyssey question. What we would like to do, and certainly nothing more than whiteboard talk, and it would take a lot of work, but allowing, like right now we have, what, three galaxies in the game, right? If I'm not mistaken. Four galaxies, yeah. if you count the galaxy dreadnought. So there's a tier four galaxy, and then there's the sea store version for tier four with adventure. And then there's the Tier 5 Saucer Separation Galaxy. And there's a Galaxy Dreadnought. And the same thing on the Odyssey, right? You've got three Odysseys, technically four Odysseys, if you count the... the, count the, the fleet the, one. Well, yes, I guess it's now... Five. If there's five. Yeah. Oh, yes. And that, got, the one you got for free at the uh, second anniversary event. And there's the, yeah, the Galaxy. And then the, uh, if you're going back to Galaxy, there's the, there's the four Galaxies. And then the fleet version, eventually there will be a fleet Dreadnought as well. So there'll be six. So if we say Galaxy and then Tier 4 Venture and then Saucer Separation Tier 5 Galaxy, Galaxy Dreadnought, and then Fleet Galaxy, and then eventually a Fleet Dreadnought, six galaxies all together. When we started doing this, we weren't a free-to-play game working on microtransactions. You know, we had one galaxy and then later, let's make a Tier 5 one so people could play a galaxy at the end, and then we thought we were done with it. And then it just kept going. So... If we could go back in time, go in our Wayback Machine and change things, we would kind of make do, build things a little differently and allow people to get their Tier 4 Galaxy and instead 
pay smaller microtransactions to say, hey, I just want the seating. I want to upgrade my tier 4 to a tier 5. Okay, that's this much money. And then I want the skin. I want the seating arrangement. I want to add a third nacelle and a spacer lance and just kind of get all the parts that way. I don't know how that works. Is that a good move for a business model? We have to do a little more investigation that way. But I think that way you don't have to buy a bundle of Odysseys or Vestas and then have to open all three, get the console off and then dismiss the two you don't want. You can just say, I want the Vesta and I want the bundle parts that go with it, but it just all fits on one ship and then you can switch your skins and switch your bridge officer seating. In the end, that would still cost a player $50, but you can just buy it a little more a la carte and not have to use three ship slots to do it. This is whiteboard hallway talk, but that's where I think maybe Stan might have been thinking as far as allowing a little more customization going forward. That's the kind of thing that we're talking about. But that's a pretty big feature. Require a huge database fix-up for existing ships and a lot of data fix-up, a lot of actual data creation to make that work in addition to the code. And is that dangerous for game balance? I don't think it's dangerous for game balance. It's dangerous for revenue, right? I mean, we have a model that works. We have a model that's successful that allows us to reinvest into the game. So that's just something that we've been talking about. And so I wouldn't count on seeing that anytime soon. But I'd love to see it eventually. Been a lot of changes to the economy. And one of the new things we got was the reputation system. And one of our listeners, Aregas7, would like to know, are there any plans to move some of the Romulan Mark generating missions into the new STFs? Another way to get uh, Marks sort of in, in line with how we get Omega Marks for the Borg. You play the STF to get a Mega Marks, that's that system. You play the Romulan content to get the Romulan Marks. There's one or two pieces of content right now. I think the Siege of the Vault, I can't remember the name for that one. You actually get Rom Marks and Omega Marks in there. But I wouldn't put Romulan Marks in, say, the Hive or Infected or the Cure or something. Um, I think they're looking for Romulan STFs. They want to go fight a bunch of scimitars. Yeah, I would totally do a Romulan STF and put Romulan Marks in there. The vault is one of them, whether or not they don't consider that as far as the difficulty of existing STFs and you know the challenge of really needing to be that elite in order to complete it, then they're not STFs in that. Their fleet actions, I mean, really what is, to the user, what is the difference between a fleet action and an STF uh, outside of difficulty? What does that mean to you, uh, to either of you guys? What, is it, what does an STF versus a fleet action mean to you? I think one of the distinguishing features of the STFs is that there's the sort of elite level and this sort of normal level. And in the mega reputation system, one of the one of the good points that you know you brought up kind of routinely when it was before it came out was that, look, if you just want to get some marks, go ahead and do a normal one. But if you really want to get after it, do that elite, and your reward levels are so much higher. Right. And I think that that's kind of the maybe what some people are looking for is like I would like a, an equivalent system in the Romulan stuff where I just kind of want to dink around and fill some time and blow some things up. I can do a normal. But if I really want to get after that Romulan reputation, I can go into this elite thing and really hammer out the marks. That's a good idea. So I think that would be uh, probably not a hard thing to do. We're pretty busy right now. <laughs> I promise you that. But the idea of making a STF difficulty equivalent, having you know this elite elite difficult Romulan fleet action slash STF would be a fine idea to do. Even just taking existing ones we have and just upping the difficulty, cranking it up, doing the vault or doing the Tholian, yeah. the Azure Nebula, and just making that really hard. That's just numbers. That's really not hard to do. So maybe we can do that. We can throw in bonus Romulan marks, additional Romulan marks for that. I don't think we'll start throwing dilithium and equivalent of Borg neural processors in there. That all was all done because we were dealing with issues with the original STFs and trying to make it fair for everybody else. I think the current reputation system and basically the way the economy works in that and reputation system is where you'll see reputation systems going forward. But certainly don't have a problem with saying, boom, make an elite one, you get three or four times as many marks out of this elite version. That'd be great. Great. All right. Our next question is from Commander Skyfaller. And generally the question is when, if you have thought about making Lobby account bound? The question is, or have we thought about making Lobby account bound? I can guarantee you that we've spent many, many hours discussing whether or not we can make Lobby account bound. And there's nothing arbitrary about it being character bound. I'm a straight talker and I'm not going to give you a lot of marketing spiel about it. We want to reserve the ability to give away free low buy for certain events, and we've done it in the past, and we're going to do it again. 
that is way too exploitive if low buy is account bound that you can just log in all your accounts get all those free ones and load it up to the other character that that breaks the spirit of what we're trying to do when we're giving away free low buy i think that players would love the ability and i'd love to be able to do that to say that this low buy is account bound and i'm sure there's a lot of people who may not be happy with my answer I'll get off my soapbox now. That, well, actually, <laughs> don't get off that soapbox just yet, because I, I got another question that's kind of in the same business model vein here. You know, yeah. ever since Season 7 dropped, the price of Zen has dropped dramatically in terms of the dilithium exchange. You get awful close to that artificial, you know, 50 dilithium price floor you guys have built into the system. Is that, for lack of a better phrase, working as intended? Is that kind of where you want it to be? Or? We keep a very close eye on that at least once a week, if not twice a week. At, we have two leads meetings. And we talk about it. We bring up the charts. We bring up the numbers. The question is less about whether or not the exchange rate is where we want it to be. It's A, about how much dilithium are people earning. And I can guarantee you that players on average are earning way more than they used to before dilithium changes went out to last update. Now, there were some exceptions. There were some players who found some really keen exploits and were able to get insane amount of dilithium, way outside the scope of the design. Well, some of that was with foundry exploits. Some of that was with the way you were earned in STFs. There were a few other exploits. Those holes have been plugged, and so this tiny, like tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of a percentage of players that were earning this broken amount of dilithium has been plugged. But the average user, the amount went up dramatically. I mean, if you think about it, the average user coming to the game three, four months ago, if you asked them how they get dilithium, really have no idea. Now it's really easy to know where I want dilithium. How do I earn it? Well, I can play fleet actions and earn 960 dilithium. I can do any Romulan content, any Romulan reputation or mega reputation content, and then sell those marks for dilithium. STFs are way more accessible, and you can earn dilithium there. Then you're going to be able to earn dilithium even more through the foundry coming up soon. So what we do is make sure that people are earning, you know, the average person is earning enough dilithium to support their needs, you know. We don't expect you to be able to buy everything every day. We don't expect you to be able to contribute 100% to the fleet, 100% to all your reputations. We've got more reputations coming out and buy our gear. It's about you know players being able to make choices. We expect that people spend about like 25% of their dilithium earning towards the fleet. And so that math has been done for that. And so we're making sure players earning enough, are able to earn enough dilithium. So what we've done is we've increased the amount of dilithium that you can earn and made it much more accessible. And even in the current lockboxes, you can get those new those uh, dilithium or um, mining oh, certificates. Oh, yes. They're going yeah. earn buku amounts of dilithium. Oh, very um, nice. So we're making sure that people can keep getting it. And, if we, and so we watch the earning rates more than we watch the exchange rates because we see people are earning lots of dilithium. And then we see the number of trades isn't going down. It's going up. So what we're seeing is people are earning dilithium and they're making lots of money off of earning their dilithium now, right? I mean, that's really what it is. Players are earning a lot of money. They're earning because they're earning all this zen by playing dilithium. So their players are setting the market price. They are, even though they have more available to them than they ever did. Now, we know there's more. I can hear people already saying, but we have so much we need to spend it on now. Spend it on. Like, well, yeah, that's what's driving that. Is more available, and we will continue to make sure that it will be available, you know, ways to get it. We had to be careful about just going in and doing something silly like making too much available and watching it swing the other way. It could be really dangerous. So it's a very delicate change. That's why you're seeing small changes as far as, okay, let's get a little more. Let's listen about a little more. Let's make sure people get more. But as we keep making more dilithium, the price doesn't change. Because that's what people are willing to spend for it. That's just what they're spending, even though people are earning more. So in some ways, it's your guy's fault. So and <laughs> <laughs> Because you can, raise the, you can raise the price at any time or choose not to pay for that price. And the market will follow. Just remember that it's, you know, people are earning a lot more. But there's just people want it more, too, at the same time. We will make sure that we continue to monitor that. And we will continue to find ways to make dilithium 
even more available in the game, whether that's increasing the amount of drops in certain content or, for instance, adding more dilithium to Foundry or things, other content like that. You mentioned that with earning more dilithium, there's also more things you can spend dilithium on. And first thing that popped into my head were things like the embassies and the fleet advancement system, yep. because those require and demand a lot of dilithium from a fleet. Probably one of the biggest vocal opinions of that is that, well, what happens to the small fleets that don't have those types of resources or time or people to put into those sinks? Has there been discussion for about small fleets and small fleet advancements, et cetera, et cetera? I promise you there has been even before the system ever went live. When we designed the fleet system, what we did was took a look at average earn rates of dilithium or any asset for that matter, whether it was expertise or energy credits or whatever, and figured that we wanted 25% of that earning going into the fleet, and then figured that we expected an average fleet to be about 25 players. So we consider 25 players to be an average fleet size. So it's pretty reasonable if players are playing that average to be able to make progress in the fleet. Now, the fleet system was intended to be a long-term system. It wasn't intended to people complete in three months. We expect it for some fleets to take six months or a year to finish their fleet. But when we come up with new holdings like the embassy, some of those, we hope that, and we have more holdings planned, that additional holdings, it doesn't mean that, oh, now i got to build this one, this one, and this one. Yeah, but the new ones that come out should be really accessible so people should be able to see some progress in a short amount of time to get to one tier one, tier two in a short amount of time. As those new holdings come out and there'll be more demands, we'll probably take a good close look at the economy and try to find more ways of making the lithium available as well. But it's also supposed to be a choice. I don't have a good answer to tell you how we could make it so a fleet of 300 can advance in the fleet system and not blow through it with their eyes closed in a number of weeks or months. But a fleet of five will still be able to make progress in it the same way without players finding weird loopholes like let's make the fleet really small and okay now the prices are down so we can go dump in a bunch of dilithium and now everyone come back and join the fleet again right those are kind of like the weird things like, like let's maybe we have the prices scale based on the size of the fleet well immediately people will start finding ways to exploit that so there's been talks about allowing fleets to kind of work together as like conglomerate you know as other associated with other fleets to help each other I don't know how that would work, but that's been talked about. I'm open to suggestions, but part of it is like, well, if you decide to play in a fleet of five people, maybe you need to spend a couple dollars. You can make a lot of dilithium for five bucks, right? You can right. get a lot get a lot of dilithium for it. So um, Not as much as you used to. Certainly not as much as you used to, yes. But, uh, <laughs> smart people out there playing the exchange just like any other, just as much as any other exchange, buying low, selling high, doing things like that. But you can still get quite a lot, and it is part of the microtransaction strategy. You know, we expecting to make some revenue off of that. It's not an evil corporation thing. It's just, hey, you know, you can play and if you join up with lots of people, then it'll be able to make the progress quicker. If you choose not to, then it's going to take you longer or you can spend a couple dollars, but don't have to. You can just wait or maybe you can't do them all. You can only do some of the systems, but there's lots of options. I mean, it's all about lots of options and Star Trek didn't used to have an end game before. Now there's like too much end game and people, <laughs> I want to be able to do this all and it's not fair. It says, well, we're just giving you options. You know, if we didn't give you options, if you could do everything, you'd finish it and then say there's no end game, <laughs> right? It's supposed to be completely open-ended to be able to last longer so that way we don't have to keep struggling to keep up to bring content to people. That's part of the system was designed so that way there will always be want and always be things to do and always be things to achieve. If it was completely achievable by a small number fleet for no money, I think we would actually have a failed system. And when you say, you know, you want to have content, we don't want to have the content drought that we had a while ago. But I'm going to use the G word, the grind. If the content you have to do repetitively, isn't that almost sort of the opposite? I'll give you that you've got a variety of ways to earn dilithium, but it's still a limited set of ways. Now, just a second ago, you mentioned that there will be an additional way to earn dilithium via the foundry. And so maybe that is a way to open up a wider variety of content available, player-created content rather than just the wrapper mission you have now. Or is there something else in the works? That Here, we here's to... why I didn't rebuttal, because in <laughs> every MMO, there's a bit of a grind. So the, oh, yeah. the grind that I've experienced in STO doesn't me personally bother me very much. 
but that's why I didn't rope jump. And Star Trek Online's defense, I mean, there is a wide variety of things to do. I mean, I can't do one of everything in a like a typical play session for me. I can't do a foundry mission and do the Deferi run and do an STF and do, you know, trade in my Romulan marks. And I mean, in my typical session, I can't do it all. I mean, so that's good. But there are a lot of people out there that say, well, there's a limited set of things you can do. And if you want to earn dilithium, you can only do these things. You tease the foundry a little bit, Al. I got to come back mm-hmm. to that. What is this new foundry yeah. thing you want to talk about? We're always trying to improve the foundry, particularly foundry rewards. I mean, currently... You've got this wrapper, you take this daily mission, and then you play three foundry missions or something. They've changed that recently. You've got Yeah, I've lost track about where it's at live, but it's it used to be at three and you'd get I don't remember, nine sixty to lithium or fourteen forty to lithium, I can't yeah, recall. Fourteen forty, I think. Yeah. Yeah. The idea is and I apologize, I don't remember what state it is right now because it's been changing very quickly and there's more changes coming, but that players will be able to play what we had to do, first of all, was fix that exploit that was going yes. on. And we knew about the exploit. We just couldn't get around oh, to yeah. it. It was just that you could just make these clicking missions, boom, boom, and, and you complete the it mission. Died. And then boom, and then you get your 1440-day lithium, right, in, in five minutes, right? Shame on you guys, but shame on us for letting it sit as long as it did. So I'll take responsibility, <laughs> take responsibility for that. But And I'm sure people will continue to find other exploits. But we've got better safeguards in now. So now we can kind of loosen the grip on the foundry. We want people to be able to play the foundry, and we talked about at one point doing like a foundry reputation system. But I steered away from that because, and we might come back to it, but the current thinking is, well, reputation is really for endgame and foundry is not for endgame. And I don't know if I want to make a whole other set of gear and loot just for foundry doesn't make sense as much. So what we just want to do is allow people to play foundry and scale the reward based on the length of the foundry mission. And so... If you play a good party boundary mission, and this would be based on average play times, you couldn't just sit there and just like walk away from your computer and come back and earn a bunch of dilithium. There would be caps and there'd be all kinds of funny code things they're doing to make sure that average is not exploited. Can we talk about that for a second? Because I listen to podcasts UGC too, and I was about to <laughs> have been raking you guys over the coals about this. So here's our chance for a little cross podcast cooperation here. Okay. Uh, so there's the time. And that makes sense to us because you've got, you said earlier, you, you look at dilithium earn rates and you want to know how much per hour, how much per game session, how much per day per week. That makes a lot of sense to us. Then there's this number of plays component. And again, that sort of tips it towards almost the quasi-exploit things that we've been sort of seeing. You know, the missions that are for the grind are going to get tons of plays. Does that favor them somehow? Are they somehow, I, do they I, have a quicker route to that? Sorry for being dense. Can you say it again? I'm, I'm not okay. quite grokking what you're saying. Okay. There's components to the foundry. You know, your the time component is understandable, like we said, the dilithium earn rates. That makes sense from a perspective on your end. But there's also a, another component, the number of plays. If you don't have a certain threshold number of plays, right, I'm, right, I'm trying right. To, I don't. We don't want to exploit the system. We don't want to game the system. But we'd like to know more about what the algorithm is that says this will get you dilithium and your fleet marks. This mission is fine for that. This mission is not. The number of plays is put up there, and I don't remember what the exact number of plays input is. That's putting on there to make sure that people aren't making their own content and then jumping in and then earning whatever it is that they want to earn that they need to earn, even if it was just the old system. It was an attempt to try to fix potential exploit, and whether it's perfect or not, we don't want to make the perfect the enemy of the good here. I can guarantee you that without a system like that in place, people will be finding ways to exploit it and just make content for themselves, hide it and find loopholes. It's it's meant to make sure that a, a certain number of people play the system. Now, as far as people playing a piece of content and not earning, if that's the question whether or not, hey, this one doesn't qualify yet, we want to make sure that people can see that, hey, this is a qualifying mission, this one's not a qualifying mission, or, or this one is not a qualifying mission that's for what particular reason. That would be helpful if we could say this mission you know, doesn't qualify for this reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be great. And, and I don't want to get dragged down too far into the, into into, the weeds. In, into the weeds of Foundry because, like I said, I don't, I won't work that far with it. What I do do is the rewards. Well, I don't, but my team does build the rewards. And the plan is that you'll be able to play a Foundry mission. And if the mission qualifies, we earn a scaling amount of dilithium based on the length of the mission. So if you play a short mission, you might get 480 dilithium. You play a long mission, you might get to like 1400 dilithium or 960. I don't remember the, the cap that we decide to put on there. If you play a featured Foundry mission, you would earn more dilithium, probably twice as much. In addition to, we'll probably throw in 
this is where we were going to maybe make a reputation and put it in like a foundry marks, but steered away for it at this point. Maybe eventually we'll add it. But we actually thought about putting energy credits because even though energy credits was a cheap economy before, people really want energy credits now with the reputation system. So we might yeah. throw energy credits in there as well. Who knows? Maybe we'll throw something else in there as well. But that would be for the featured one. And you could do the featured one once you earn that feature reward once a day. You could replay the feature reward and then earn standard rate for it. But once a day, you could earn the big you know, 1440 dilithium and big chunk of energy credits or whatever else we decide to throw in there. But there'd be no more wrapper like you wouldn't have to pick the daily mission and go in uh, and then turn it back in. You would just play the mission and just earn it and just okay. get it. The plan going forward is some kind of scale based on <laughs> whether or not you hit certain marks or you know certain criteria of the mission. If you meet this threshold, you get a little bit of reward, yeah. a little bit longer, a little bit uh, more complex mission, maybe you know more plays, a little bit more. And then finally the spotlight reward gets the biggest. Yeah, as a daily, right. Yeah, you, huh. you can't just keep playing the spotlight over and over again. You play it once and you get the daily reward for it. You can play it again and earn the standard reward for it. Um, you can go back the next day and play it again if you earn a big reward for it there. So trying to get more, you know, another way for people to earn dilithium. And our standard rate, if players don't know, is we basically reward 480 for approximately 15 minutes of gameplay is the kind of guideline that we use, 480 dilithium for 15 minutes. And, you know, that's a little fungible. Sure. Something's 20 minutes, we probably used to leave it at 480 because 25 minutes, then I guess we go to 960. Kind of fudges based on how long we can average how long certain content is played for. Is the foundry perfect? No, it's not perfect. And yes, can you not tell whether or not something is qualifies? I mean, that's something that should be fixed. There's a lot of things that should be fixed about it. Well, just, technically, I, I, the foundry's still in beta. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> it's still uh, 0.8. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So I wish I could answer more questions about the Foundry. I just, I'm just not the Foundry guy. We just, like I said, it's a separate team. We work together very closely, but, and the team is always focused on Neverwinter. I mean, to be frank, that's where they're putting all their effort into right sure. now is getting Neverwinter Foundry out the door. So, so you don't see as much love on Star Trek Foundry as we would like to give it, but it doesn't mean that it's not coming. The rewards are, are a big thing changing and the spotlight was a big deal, right? And getting that integrated into the, you know, the UI. Is a, is a huge, yeah. Every bit helps. But I do want to continue to encourage you guys to challenge my answers. I count a lot on the podcasts to tell me a lot what the community is thinking. I don't like rants and trolls, but I do like, hey, constructive criticisms. We'd like to see this and this is why. And no, you know, what about doing it this way? That's that's great. Keep that coming. You know it. We will. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what else you got? All right, let's go into game systems. Let's see, Roach had submitted a question about beam arrays. Plans to make them less scorned? More than likely refers to the fire at will power. Vorticus has been looking really closely at fire at will. I can tell you that we went down a red herring a little bit where we couldn't find a problem with accuracy with it. But I think we found out what's going on. We'll get a little technical for a moment, just kind of a little behind the scenes of what's going on. Fireatwill is actually very similar to what a chain lightning power in the code and the data, how it's actually built. So chain lightning powers actually suffer from the same problem as Fireatwill. If you think about it like chain lightning, it's a little bit clearer. If I shoot a target with a lightning bolt and then, like, for instance, the isometric charge on the Klingon side, if I shoot that target with the lightning bolt, then uh, the electrical charge, we'll just call it lightning bolt for now because I like saying lightning bolt. Lightning bolt. <laughs> lightning bolt. <laughs> lightning bolt. Lightning bolt. <laughs> Thank lightning you. Bolt. <laughs> All right, Zeus. So you, please continue, Zeus. Oh, man. You shoot target A with a lightning bolt, then that lightning bolt bounces to target B. I don't actually shoot that lightning bolt from target A to target B. Target A shoots it from target A to target B, and then target B shoots it from target B to target C. Now, we do a really good job at passing certain stats down that chain, but we do a bad job. The code does a bad job of sending other types of stats down that chain. So damage passes down that chain really well. Because damage is technically an attribute in the code. But things like accuracy are actually an enhancement. So on the code, it's handled slightly differently. And some of those enhancements don't really pass along to things like lightning bolts. Those are called apply powers. And if you remember old tooltips, there may be a few tooltips out there that will say, shoots this and applies blah, blah, blah to target. And that's because the engine was doing its best to write an auto-generated tooltip that says this is an apply power. And then we've tried to remove most of that because it's really obscure and esoteric to most of the users. The user doesn't know when they're activating a fire at will that it's actually the same kind of data as an apply power as a lightning bolt. And by apply power, it means you don't actually own that power. I don't own 
when I activate fire at will, I own the power that I click on that says fire this fire at will. When I shoot my isometric charge, I own the first step in that. But the following steps that come from there, you don't actually fire those fire at wills. You don't pick a target and shoot that, pick a target and shoot that. The game is doing itself. So you don't own the power. The game says you own the power that calls those powers. So since you don't own them, some of your stats don't get applied to it. That's the bug. Ah, maybe it uh, would take the attributes of the weapon, but not the ship or your character flying the ship. If a buff exists on you, then it will take those buffs. If the buff is coming from an item, an internally called enhancement, where that item says buff certain types of weapons, buff certain things. Like, for instance, I could have a damage buff that says me, myself, whether I'm a character or a ship, I do 25% more damage. That's just what I have. But if I have a weapon or gear or even a power that's cast on me that says, you don't have 25% more damage, add 25% more damage to all beam weapons. That's different in the code. To the player, it's the same. To the code, it's different. I don't actually own that damage bonus. It's not coming from me. It's coming from another source. And it's saying, only go to these certain sources. Those don't work on chain lightning and fire at will type powers. We recently identified that and got a fix for that supposedly. So a fix from engineering came in for that. Vorticus is following that thread. He's going to see if he can get it to work. We're on it. That was a very, very obscure explanation, and it was just as obscure to us, the difference to us. <laughs> like, why isn't this passing? It seems fine. The numbers are there, and it looks good. And if you don't do certain things, it, everything works just fine. It's people saying, oh, accuracy doesn't work. Says, well, no, fire at wills has the right accuracy rate. But if you start getting different buffs from different sources, and then it's like, oh, it's not changing. And that's what Vorticus was working on for a long time. I have a rebuttal. My head just exploded. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I, I tried to explain that as best I could without getting too technical on how the data is set up. But to be clear, it was completely even obscure to us. Why would this not work this way? It was engineer weird stuff, right? It's just the way it was set up. And it looked like it was working to us. And it really wasn't. We got it. It only took three years. We got it. So. <laughs> Listen, I was focusing so hard listening to him as he spoke. Like, I, I was looking at the same pixel on my monitor the entire time <laughs> just to make sure I didn't miss it. And, and you know what? I understood it. I did understand it. I guess the best way I could put it in a nutshell, and I kind of said it already, I'll try to summarize, is that if your character has these attributes, then that will apply to apply powers such as, and I'm using specifically, I've got little quotes up in the air, specifically what's called in the code called apply powers. In other words, you don't own the powers. You're activating something that calls the power. So chain lightning is the easiest way, but fire at will is built exactly the same way as chain lightning. It's just instead of coming, the, the chain is coming off of you each time. So just like you don't pick the target for chain lightning, you don't pick the targets for fire at will. It's just the engine's firing it. So if you own those buffs directly, powers applied, get those buffs. If you don't own them directly, they're coming from another source. It's called an enhancement in the code that says attach this accuracy, attach this damage to beams. It won't go to anything that is applied. My head didn't explode. I got okay. it. I got it. I got it. Try We're to good. keep everything in the containment there. And <laughs> so uh, that's just techno babble for it's a stupid bug that we couldn't track down forever. And so engineering actually it was neverwinter who fixed it so neverwinter found it so that came through or is coming through and then vorticus is going to try to see if he can make that work cool. keep your fingers crossed but we're at least on we're at least hot on the trail so it was neverwinter that wanted to throw lightning bolts lightning yes bolts. they're damn lightning <laughs> bolts. that was <laughs> i probably was a chain lightning power of some sort that allowed them to see hey this wasn't working all right. We'd like to know where crafting's at. Uh, specifically, user All of the Force would like to know about bringing the Aegis set up to par with some of the other new sets we've got out there, the Remans and the Borg and all those guys. Every update that we do to the game, we put crafting on the schedule, and for one reason or another, it gets bumped. I can guarantee you that Perfect World really, really wants a more advanced crafting system because they had a couple really big things that they wanted to do for Star Trek when they acquired us. And the first one was a more robust guild system like we did to fleets. And the second one on their list was crafting. So I can promise you that it's coming from high above that they want it. And so it's not just me and Bordicus or it's not Dan or Jack. It's coming all the way up from Perfect World. So I promise you a more robust, hardier, more fun what would be the more, more uh, intricate, more complex? 
I don't know if I want to say intricate complex, but more normal, more <laughs> user-friendly. Standard, user-friendly. It, yeah, this, this more typical crafting system will be coming to Star Trek. And I just don't know when. It was going to come out in May with the new update, but it's the, we had too much to do. So it got bumped again. So maybe by December. Now, are I, you guys I, looking at I, rebuilding well, this from the ground up? or Probably. Yeah. Yeah, probably, probably something, probably something more along the lines like gem slotting. We want to get a gun base, and I want to put this in and this in, and you have to maybe you have to craft the gems that I want to craft an accuracy component and whatever, and then you can make exactly what it is that you want to make. Maybe that involves some sort of skill thing where someone's really good at crafting guns, someone's really good at crafting armor. Maybe not. I don't know. We'll have to, obviously we'll have to take people's points and. That they've invested, you know, as far as their current crafting and convert that somehow. So that way people who invest a lot will be able to then take that and apply it to the new system. It'll be far more robust. I don't want to say complex because complex has dirty word, right? We want to make it deep. We want to make it deep without making it it complex. Complex just scares people away. I hate complex crafting systems. I like deep crafting systems, Right. right? It's just like chess. Everything we try to do. And we don't always succeed. It should be like chess, right? Small yep. number of pieces, number small number of rules. 64 squares on the board, two colors. And infinite complexity. So, not complexity, depth, excuse me. Depth, 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 depth. depth. <laughs> yes, not infinite complexity. Finite complexity. Finite complexity, infinite depth. It's kind of like a Vulcan edict thing, but for chess, sure. yeah, game design. So, since we're on the topic of systems, what is this about the warp core slot? Um, the warp core slot is something that might happen. I'm considering it a stretch goal for the next update, and i really like to get it in there. There's two things I regret for ships, is not having a warp core slot and not having an armor slot. So a warp core slot would be just like it is. You would have a warp core, and you can swap your warp cores out. And so you get better warp cores, and you'd go... It wouldn't have much effect on combat, except that the warp cores themselves could have... Uh, certain power level bonus. This warp core is really good with weapons, and this one really has bonus and auxiliary. So um, it would mean increasing some uh, some power bonus for most people. But for the most part, it would mean simply travel speeds and perhaps turn rates in sector space. Some warp cores then would be the ones that would come with slipstream and other types of weird travel. Then that would allow us instead to say the Excelsior had a transwarp drive. Because right now the transwarp is built into the ship because it's not a console, because then it would be taking away from combat bonus. People would just slot it out, use their regular console, go to sector space, and slot in their transwarp console. But this would just be a transwarp drive, you know, transwarp warp drive. So, uh, yeah, I want to do that. It's going to require some data fix-up. It's going to mean that 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 will be what will determine how fast you go in sector space. I love the idea, because it adds us another ability to add another set bonus, for sets, sure, yeah. three-piece sets, they'd be four-piece sets now. So then we can have you know four pieces of the Borg set or the Aegis set or whatever set now, and we have a warp core to go with that. So, uh, yeah, it's just a stretch goal. I don't think you're going to see too many crazy surprises with it. You know, maybe some of them may have some other related bonuses that come with them. I think it would be a fun thing. Uh, along with that, I've wanted to do an armor one. That one's a little trickier because most of your armor, your damage resistance, comes from engineering slots, right? There's a right. lot of alloys yeah. that give you damage resistance if i could redo it i wouldn't have made any of those in as consoles or if i did that they would be much less and that the armor would give you your your just like you do on the ground you'd have an armor slot that gave you your base resistance so the problem is we can't just drop in an armor slot right now and then allow you to stack existing damage resistance armor consoles that are an engineering slot along with this new armor item it would just allow you to have too much damage resistance. That would not work for the balance of the game. So if we did an armor slot, we'd have to nerf those consoles or change what they did. Well, what and, about remove them entirely? Well, we could remove them, but people have them already slotted. So it's kind of ugly on the data. So it's easier to just change what they do. We could turn them all into a titanium alloy a console slot. It would now become... A whole repair speed, maybe. Uh, exactly. It'd be something related, and all of a sudden, that's they would just be changed into that. I hate to do that because it just makes people 
upset about it, and I'll be, I can already see the board postings raging about it. I think it's going to overall be better for the game, and so... Yeah, it might, the time to address it might be when you kind of do PvP updates, maybe, because if you're going to do a kind of a game mechanic change with that side, a lot of the people that will be really upset about armor bonuses and armor changes might be the, the PvP set. You know, there might be a time to sort of consider that as a kind of a package deal. Yeah, it's just one of those touchy ones. So I, I'd like to do it. There's something that we haven't had in the game. I don't think there's very little of, if there's certainly not a console for it, is a hit point bonus. There's no bonus, like increase your max hit points. We have increased your max shield, but not increase your max hit points. Oh, sure. So I thought about maybe turning all of those armor ones into hit point ones and then just move all damage resistance into the armor piece. So that's what we might change them into. That's what we one of the things we talked about. Both of those I consider stretch goals. They're not scheduled. The Warp Core one actually wouldn't take too much work to do. It just would be more icon work than anything. So... I've mentioned it once in a while here. It's something I've wanted to do. I'm trying to see if we can get it in by May. It probably will eventually happen at some point. I just don't know what. In terms of the design, are you? is this something that you would be able to apply to older ships, or is this new ships moving forward? Oh, it would have to retrofit all existing okay. ships. Okay. So you would log in one day, and you'd have a new yes. slot called Warp Core. Everyone would come in with a base white Warp Core item for the equivalent mark for that ship. So you'd have a Mark 10 if you were had a Tier 5 ship. And then you could acquire Mark 11 and Mark 12 warp cores, purple, blue and purple and green versions of them. And the tricky thing is to do with the Excelsior Transwarps, what is that one? It, we probably would make it like a Mark 12 blue or purple or a Mark 11 purple, probably a Mark 12 purple. Maybe it's maybe it's levelless, I, I don't know. And the same thing to do with Slipstream. Slipstream right now is actually a captain power. You just get it when you become Vice Admiral. And if you have the Odyssey or the Vesta, there's it actually just replaces your old war, your old slipstream with the ship that version that comes with that. So we would probably put slipstream on the warp drive, and then if you put any warp drive that has slipstream into an Odyssey or Vesta, it would automatically become better, be the Vesta's version. So it'd be slipstream drives in addition to warp core drives. So something like that. Those are kind of the weird edge cases we have to figure out what to do with slipstream and transwarp. But everything else would be really easy to do. Interesting. All right. Our very own Gen X, uh, Alex Caldwell, actually wrote a, a recent article about the AI, the NPC AI in the game. Have you guys looked into improving the game's AI? For instance, he gives an example of some of his bridge officers dropping cover shield in a doorway, you know, things of that nature. Sure. I don't really have good answers for you. AI is really code. It's got really little to do with design. We ask for things and we get them if we can. I mean, AI is hard. Bottom line is really hard. And the best AI that I can think of that I've seen in the game, and I'm sure someone can have a better example, is a Left for Dead. Amazing AI with what your guys will do and how clever they are. Still do stupid things. And we don't have AI anywhere near as complex as that AI. So it's a challenging and very hard thing to do to catch those edge cases. I wish I had better news and say, yeah, yeah, we'll just, we've got that on the scope and then we're, you know, we got that on the schedule and we're going to make better AI. But that's just, a big, big task, and we just currently don't have resources allocated to that at this time. They're focused on other bigger system features right now. We've also got some questions about alting your boff. We've talked about that before, making a, turning one of your boffs into a captain. Do we got that on the radar still? That is still on the radar. There were all these big features about what was coming with the next update. And every time it's like, okay, is this time for crafting? Is this time for alt your boff? Is this time for a trait revamp? And alt your boff and crafting both got punted down for the, you know, for let's see if we can get into the next update. So it's still a very solid feature. If listeners aren't familiar, there's kind of two parts to the alt your boff and possibly a third part to that. There's first having a first officer system. And you kind of see that in the duty officer system. You can assign someone as a first officer and someone as a chief tactical officer. It doesn't really do anything. We want there to be a, a path to making somebody a chief and a path to making them a first officer, whether that's like an expertise cost or just some other system you have to do of training to get your guy to become that. Then they become a legit first officer and a chief medical officer and so on. And then once your guy is a first officer, then you can turn him into an alt. So instead of making an alt character, you say, boom, my first officer is now a playable captain. And he probably starts at level 30 as a captain. And you can just go ahead and play them. There's also been evidence, though, that we've looked into that suggests that doing that's a bad idea. Interestingly enough, we have a lot of the Paragon Studio guys who joined us. And they did a lot of investigating about 
doing alts that start at high level and found that it really, really hurts your community really bad because existing players who start alts and start at level one, they're in there in the social zones with other level one players, and that's really good for new players. You get the tribal knowledge passed around. Exactly. Yeah. Alting and starting at 2530, all your existing players are no longer in the social zones helping the newbies. And so we've been rethinking that, and if we did allow it, we'd still force you to start at level one, which is kind of weird. But even if we did, that still would be cool because what it really does is allow you to make weird species that you can't normally get as a playable captain, like taking your Jem'Hadar, right, and mm-hmm. making him your first officer and then making him a captain and then you can play him. That's the real motivation of doing that is allowing players to have to work hard to get their really first acquiring that weird bridge officer, then advancing him to first officer and then alting him. And then, then you can, hey, it's cool. Now I can play a Jem'Hadar as opposed to just paying four bucks to just buy one out of the sea store as an alternate species so that was the motivation for that and yes and that's just gotten punted and it's always been on my radar as a feature that i really wanted we just have to reconsider what level you that alt would start at and then we've talked about other things like being able to take your first officer instead of alting him as a playable boff to alt him as a pet so you could have away teams in space so it would scale the mission, then would scale up because your first officer is now flying one of your other ships. So you have a use for your existing ships. And so then you could go and fly in, play a fleet action with yourself with all your previous first officers using all your existing ships and you'd play solo a fleet action. Now, go for that. Get that up yeah. on the board. Get that up on the board, Al. <laughs> <laughs> much, much bigger feature than the alt your boff feature that I mentioned. But that is the other part of that system that we've also discussed. All of that would happen one step at a time. First step will be first officer system. Being able to allocate a first officer, what does it mean to advance and what is the cost as far as what is the training involved to make a, and what are the benefits of having a first officer, chief medical officer, chief engineer, blah, blah, blah. That's the first part. Second part is then, do we allow you to alt it as a playable? And then the third part is, do we allow you to say, hey, go take my extra Prometheus and then join me on this mission? Cool. Now, here's the big one that a lot of people have been looking forward to since the game launched. For me, I'm going to go off on a personal little note here. Starfleet Command was a great game, and one thing they tried to do in one of the versions was a territory control. You played missions in certain sectors, the sector flipped to your color, and it lets you get ships faster and stuff like that. That's still up on the board? It's always been on the board. It's never going to come off the board until it's done. So eventually it will get done. I think the first thing that we have to do is we really have to get resources back onto making improving PvP. And the first thing is is a not only a better PvP game itself, but we want to do a PvP reputation system and better leaderboards and all of that coming together is that. Then once that's stable and we're happy with where PvP is at that point, then I think we can advance to a territory control game. Neverwinter has I'm not going to spill the beans on it, but Neverwinter has a great PvP game and we want to steal it. So um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm not going to talk at all about what they're doing, just that it's great. And we've been talking with them. And says, yeah, let's do that. So we already have, we know what we want it to be. The PvP version 2, we know what the reputation system looks like. We know what the leaderboard looks like. And it's a new engine that's actually much easier. We talked about this some time ago. To actually, for the developers to actually build PvP maps, there's actually just new tech that makes it easier to build. So we'd scrap all the old ones because they're just really kind of built very poorly. So we would uh, make new ones. Then once that's solid and we've got more people playing PvP, then we'd build on it with a territory control-like game, which I talked about since before the game ever went live. But it will always be on the board. It'll never go away. It'll never going to say, no, I'm not going to do it. But it would be a pretty significant feature. So the territory control. The other stuff I talked about is much more realistic to see in a very reasonable amount of time I'll throw a number out there before the end of the year. You know, that's a good possibility that you would see that first half. Territory control, the earliest you probably would see would be next year. Okay. Well, I mean, we've got a better date for the PvP, and and those of us who are lucky enough to be in the beta for Neverwinter, we might get an idea of what Star Trek Online PvP is going to be like in the coming months. You mentioned got a lot of people from Paragon Studios that joined the team. What kind of talent have they brought to the table? What sort of improvements have they suggested you know, considering that they were working on an MMO that was very successful for very, very many years themselves. Um, well, we've got two systems designers, two content designers. I think there's one artist 
I don't work as closely with the artist, so obviously I don't, I, I, I can't recall. So there's at least four, maybe five Paragon people that are here. And I worked with some of them before because they were former Cryptic employees. So they were here before and they took off to work with Paragon and then they're back. And Paragon was using our old engine and our current engine is just basically that engine version 2.0. So especially for the systems guys, a lot of the systems were basically the same. So they were able to come in and just almost no time being able to get up to speed. So it was a really easy transition, a little bit harder for the content guys. Our tools for contents got a lot more advanced and a lot more sophisticated than we had. But the system side is basically the same systems, but we just have all new, much more robust tool set than we used to have for when we were building City of Heroes. City of Heroes, all the powers and everything was being built in Excel and exported out. We have actual in-game tools that are on the fly while the game is running. So it's much more robust and much less error prone. State of Heroes went on for years, and Stowe is right now. It's in its third. Have they suggested anything? You mentioned before, like they had they had that suggestion about community and how perhaps doing an alt at thirty would affect poorly on the community. Is there anything else? That was one that came across, and I think we got one of the content designers from Paragon that did their tutorials. We're always looking at redoing the tutorials, so we've got a lot of good insight on how to improve our tutorial. I won't speak in any more detail than that. One of the advantages we also got is those guys worked with zones much more than you know. Than Star Trek has zones, so we now have zones like New Romulus and Defair Ground Invasion. But that's that's our first as a Star Trek team incursion into zone mission building. Those those City of Heroes guys, that's all they did, right? They built big zones. Canyon City and Hollows and Steel Canyon and Atlas Park and all those zones over on City of Heroes. So you would build those zones and you build missions and story arcs built around the zone. And so we're getting into making more of these adventure zones that we call them, ground ones, and looking at trying to do a space one eventually. And those guys are really talented and about owning, this is my zone, right? And designing the whole story, the territories, the neighborhoods about that zone. So they bring a lot of talent, a lot of experience to building things that way, which is not how we how Star Trek has built things in the past. So that's one of the bigger advantages. We have a new adventure zone that we're building that's been given to one of those guys. And, you know, you can see the, the difference in how they thrive, their experience and talent in that. So it will really show through. I think you'll see the, probably the most of that there. Of course, with the systems guys, I mean, they have their own set of ideas and how they built powers all their new sets and their tricks. And it's really, as a designer, what's great is seeing someone who has a good bag of tricks. Oh, when I did this guy this way and I get this guy, you know, oh, I, oh you know, I did this one. And so, and especially being able to share the same engine says, yeah, well, we could do that here. It's the same engine. So, or it's, you know, it's just the same engine plus. So we could do it. It's done this way instead. And so that's really, really very fortunate to be able to get those guys both in systems and in content for us. So, big win. So, next adventure zone, space or ground? You're going to eventually get more of both. So, Okay. Okay, all right. But I'm not saying well, what's next. The marketing guys have given you your lines. I'm glad to see that you're not crossing them yet. Uh, we'll send you liquor next time before the interview. <laughs> nice try, Elijah. <laughs> what was that? Oh, yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> All right. Well, Al, thank you so very much for joining us this evening. And as always, it's a pleasure talking with you. Oh, it's the pleasure's all mine. I love coming out here and talking. I wish I could spill more beans and talk about more stuff coming up. I promise when more information is out and I can talk more, I'll come out again and we'll talk more secrets and more things. But right now, it's just a little too early. Thank you for having me so we can talk about everything that we've got, the anniversary and everything that's happened up until now. Our pleasure. It's always a pleasure having you. Anytime you want to come on, you're more than welcome. Thank you. I look forward to it.
Transfer complete. 